Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. And welcome to the Ashley Webster Experience. Thanks again for joining us alongside uh, Brian Solomon. He is the executive producer. As I said earlier, he drives the bus. He changes the oil in the bus. He does the windows. <laughs> he doesn't get me a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, but we'll work on that. Joining us today, though, a great guest. We have Charlie Kirk. If that name's not familiar to you, it will be soon. I'm sure of that. He is the founder and currently runs Turning Point USA. Um, and Charlie, welcome. Thank you. You started this group literally the day after you got out of high school, 18 years old. Tell me, what did you have in mind? What is Turning Point USA all about? Sure. So th- I started this organization when I was, like you said, right at 18 years old. And the original vision and the concern I had was we were losing our country and we were losing our country to to forces that wanted to turn us into a weak, mediocre social welfare democracy, similar to that of some countries in Europe. You were and 18 when you had this That's thought. correct. Most and 18-year-olds are out drinking and chasing well, girls. here's the fun thing. Um, <laughs> Brian never did any of that, though. <laughs> no, he didn't. That's true. Um, I had no money, no connections, and no idea what I was doing. Hmm. Um, but only my story, what's so fun about, I guess you could say my story, is that only in America could I have done what I do. And my story is to fight to preserve that country. So only in America can an 18-year-old with no money, no connections, no idea what he was doing, start something from nothing and go travel the country to try to earn the support and earn the goodwill of investors and donors and patriots and then eventually students and the, or- the improbability of what, I, what I've been able to do and blessed to have been able to experience is an only in America story. So in a sentence, what is your mission? To win America's culture war. To and save- what does that mean? So different than what some might analyze um, what it is, who are we as a country? Are we a country of victors or a country of victims? Are we a country that wants free stuff or a country that wants freedom? Are we a country that's going to blame others for our our difficulties and issues or that's going to take self-responsibility? Are we thankful that we live here or are we angry that we live here? These are questions that define a culture. They're very simple but extraordinarily consequential. And throughout the 70s and 80s and 90s, the, the, some of the, the greatest times in our country's history, we were a country that was thankful that we lived here. We were a country that were victors. There, of course, there were outliers, but large in part, our greatness stemmed from gratitude, that we're thankful that we live in this beautiful experiment, and it could be taken away at any time. And we are losing that now. We're losing it in a variety of different ways. And, so the, the, and I've done a tremendous amount of studying about this. Where does culture come from? Culture, more than anything else, stems from our universities. The universities shape the moral fabric of a nation. Not our parents? P- parents, totally. But how many, how many times have you heard parents say, I sent my kid to college and they came back somebody different? They had 18 years. The colleges had 18 months. And mm-hmm. who was more effective? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the family, the nuclear family is so important. But far too often we see the good work that is done at home undone in the universities. 
Um, and so this is what I have dedicated my short career to. Um, but just to give you an idea of how amazingly blessed we have been in six and a half years now, mm-hmm. we are now present on 1,300 high school and college campuses. We had over 3,500 students attend our Student Action Summit in December um, in Palm Beach. From We had students from all 50 states and six countries. We have 115 people on staff, and we raised over $15 million last year. What kind of resistance have you met as you've put this group together? Oh, there's been extraordinary resistance from the left mm-hmm. and some on the right. Um, the people on the right got quite irritated as I grew closer to President Trump and in defense of him. I saw that. They were like, you can't have this mission and also be That's correct. a huge fan of, of President Trump. Why is that? I think they're quite harmonic, actually. Hmm. I think it makes sense to support the very president who is resuscitating America while also trying to resuscitate America. Well, they'll argue that he attacks individual companies, he's protectionist, and you're all about free trade. The big government sucks. Sure, and... I would make the argument he's been more free market than other recent Republican presidents. He's de- his deregulatory agenda, the Trump tax cuts, large in part his trade policy focused on China is to try to rebalance some of the, I think, inequities mm-hmm. that um, were sculpted when they first entered the World Trade Organization as a developing nation. But this is a president who bashes socialism outwardly in the State of the Union address. That's a good thing mm-hmm. that talks about the spirit of the entre- entrepreneur and striving for American greatness. And you don't have to agree with everything somebody does to still be a supporter of them. Well, is the criticism more that you shouldn't like the, a lot of the a lot of the groups by, run by the Koch brothers, right? That you shouldn't support a candidate or a specific person. You should support uh, policies and, and ideas. You mean as a, a non profit yeah. yeah, entity. And as your organization, yeah. do you think that's more that that's more the criticism that they don't like you just being not just Trump, but any president, a specific person? Well, at Turning Point USA focus solely on the ideas and the values and the principles. The criticism, I believe, is there's people that are still on the right. And and you have to understand, they control a lot of ink, Mm. but they are a minority of a minority of the actual conservative movement. Mm -hmm. So they have a disproportionate megaphone, considering that there's very few people actually in the grassroots that are voting in Republican primaries that believe what some of the never-Trumpers believe. Um, and those are some of the harshest critics from the right. So your question about resistance, those are the people on the right that resist me. Then the left also of resists me. And, and those are the people, of course, um, in the academy of the professors and that the control the universities. And But you can't say these things these days. Uh, we're, we're fighting for our own culture without being branded mm-hmm. racist. Correct. And xenophobic and you know, uh, divisive and, and, and all of these labels because your your stand, according to the left, and of course in many college campuses, goes against, they say, what this country is about with multiculturalism. So, so I would argue we've never been a multicultural – we should never be a multicultural society. We are a multiracial one. And that's a great thing. Mm. But as one of my heroes, Dennis Prager, would lay out, just as if there – just as there's a Christian trinity, there's an American trinity too. So upon our founding, there were three big ideas that were the subtext of everything the founders believed in. First and foremost, e pluribus unum, which is the Latin phrase of out of many, one, that we're all different sorts of people. We speak different languages, different religions, but we're still one people. The second is in God we trust, that there is an idea that there is a bigger power than all of us. And the third thing is liberty. Hmm. Um, and so, so talking about multiculturalism is an argument I love to have um, because not all cultures are created equal. And the argument I use is, the culture of, let's say, Saudi Arabia, are they, is that really the same culture as the American culture mm. where women were just given the right to drive? Right. They can't vote. They have public executions. 
Is that really the yeah, same? They're not cult? allowed to assemble at all. There are yeah. no political parties. They don't, there's no political parties. It's a monarchy. Mm. And that's an extreme example, but not really. There's hundreds of millions of people in the world that live under those kind of – so that's what I mean by not all cultures are created equal. But do you worry that those other cultures can come to the United States sure. and change this culture? Yes. And so people ask me, Charlie, well, then what is the American culture? Put simply, it's a meritocracy where good choices and hard work is rewarded. That if you work hard and play by the rules, in 20 or, 20 or, 50, 20 or 30 years, your life will be better than when you came here. That's, that, by the way, that's a uniquely American idea. Not every country has that. There, you go to most of South America, if you work hard and play by the rules, your life will probably be the same mm-hmm. as it was 20 or 30 years ago. So what, what is the difference? Two big things. The rule of law and liberty. Being able to take a risk and reap the rewards of it, but also enforcing the rule of law if there's people that violate, you know, the, the, the structures, the parameters of society. And, and then also um, rewarding success. And this is something that the left is so against right oh, yeah. now. And, and you know from the U.K., sure. the things that have gone wrong. And I've spent a lot of time in London the last two months. Don't and get I've, me started. <laughs> well, I, I would love to get you started, actually. But, so let, let's think about where the U.K. went wrong. Mm. They don't reward success like we do in America. There's something you have to almost hide your wealth. You almost have to apologize for it yes. culturally. Yeah, you said actually. You've said that people drag you down when they think that you're getting too big. Well, right? they do. It's it's, a, it's a, the Australians call it the tall poppy syndrome. They've, your head, you believe that you know you're successful and you've worked hard for it. That suddenly you're think that you're better than everybody else, and they'll do everything they can to chop off that head mm-hmm. to, to bring you down. Mm-hmm. And in America, it's the opposite. It's I want to yes, be that guy. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's not about the, the left in, internationally and now domestically, it's much more about hating the rich than helping the poor. And in America, what I am fighting every day to preserve and protect is, yes, success is good, that hierarchies matter, that people should have to take big risk mm. and bigger reward, take responsibility if you fail. But if you succeed, that's what we're all about. And I think in England, one thing that when I moved to this country in the 80s, you know, you, you England is a very class-conscious society. Yes. You can open your mouth and people know where you're from and what class you belong to. And there's a lot of people yeah. looking down their nose because you don't speak the right way. In America, it's completely different. It doesn't matter if you work hard and you put your mind to it and you get that success. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it's such a wonderful, freeing feeling. It's liberating. It's very liberating and it's very inspirational. And so, so let's just take the juxtaposition of the current culture in the UK and Britain and America. So that so when people say multiculturalism, I reject that kind of European British culture that's quite honestly it's very prejudiced too. Mm. It's like you oh, said yes. if you speak a little bit differently oh, yes. you're from the third ring of London or Wrong you're from the, side of the tracks or whatever yeah, or you're you from North London or whatever. Yes, exactly. And um where in America it's of course there's prejudice and all this but there's still an underlying example show me what you got. Yeah. Okay. You know, you're from you're from Texas. You're from Washington. What have you produced? And that's why what's so amazing is you see valuable companies and entrepreneurs that come from all parts of the country, from whether it be Amazon and Starbucks from Seattle or from waste management from Miami, Florida. Right, right. It, it doesn't matter where you're from. And it work. It when, when implemented, it works. And so I'm afraid we're losing this. And that's why I'm fighting as hard as we are. And you have a whole political party that seems determined to make sure that happens. And we'll get to that now. I want to get back to the college campus arena sure. if we can because you began, I guess it's a professor's watch list. Is that yes, right? that's correct. Back in what, 2016? Yes, something that, like was, that? that was a fun firestorm. Uh-huh. Well, yes, but let's talk about I'm that. You to. wanted yeah, sure. to highlight 
what, professors that you believed were squashing conservative views. That's correct. And, and put more simply— it's kind of a name and shame thing. Well, the, the shame people can do on their own. And I think some of the media has done the mislabeling of it intentionally. I never said that these professors should be fired. I've never called for their resignation, nor have I called for them to be censured. It's not a hit list. I don't want any sort of repercussion. This is a project um, of education and exposing because what I found is that students would in our organization, Turning Point, would come to me and they would say, Charlie, I'm getting graded differently. My professor is not teaching things equitably or fairly. They're asking conservatives to stand up and they're totally berating and bashing us. They're saying the most hateful things about Republicans and conservatives. And every time I would bring it to a reporter that was in the middle or the center left, they would say those are isolated incidents. And I said, what can I do to prove the point that this is not an isolated incident? So when you have a thousand plus entries that we have in our professor watch list, that's not an isolated incident. That's a pattern. That's a systemic problem within the academy that has become so intolerant. And And the project has really been successful. It's been successful to change the narrative where people no longer challenge that the academy is center left or even very far left. And I'm not going to take all the credit for it, but I've been beating that drum for many years now. Mm-hmm. And we've been we've been talking about how it is professor's job to educate, not indoctrinate. Mm. And I think there's wide-based agreement now in America that colleges have gone far too left and they're not representing both sides of the opinion. So what I find when I go on a college campus, it's not that students are opposed to our ideas. It's that they're not exposed to them at all in the first place. Well, you were accused of McCarthyism when, when you began this. And, and it's such a silly accusation. <laughs> so let me, let me break it down for people that don't know very much about Joseph McCarthy. First and foremost, I actually published my list. Joseph McCarthy never did. So that in of itself would be dismissive. Yeah. Um, secondly, Joseph McCarthy wanted people fired and was you know engaged in a lot of fear tactics. I... I I, quite frankly, would love to talk to these professors and have discussions about them. And I publish exactly what they said, exactly what they did, referencing other third-party news sources, student newspapers, even the Huffington Post, for example. When some of these professors will say things, for example, or they'll have test questions saying, um, what's the best way that you would like to see Donald Trump commit suicide? It's a test question on an examination. That warrants exposure. Well, let me ask you. You do a lot of work at universities. You're very critical of a lot of these, rightfully so. And I know you – how, how often do you go to universities? Like every, least every week, right? once or twice a week, yeah. But you did not attend a university. That's correct. So what made you focus on them? What was the initial factor that made you focus on them? So it was kind of – I circumvented it. Um, never went to college. Um, I used to have to really kind of apologize for that. I actually think that you don't have to go to college to succeed in America. I think well, you're we have, an example I agree. of it. I, totally agree. I think we have too many people going to college. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think that also contributes to the rising cost of college. Yep. When you have too many people going to something that doesn't actually have any value, the price goes up in a very distorted, mm-hmm. strange way when we're subsidizing more. it through. With student loans going through the roof as That's well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so what's what's the what's the solution? So to answer your question. Um, I started this on a local community level and started to get more students involved. Then a year of doing kind of youth activism, not student activism, I quickly came to the realization that we must hyper-target the universities. Mm. There's 25 to 30 million students right now actively enrolled in four-year colleges. It's where a lot of these ideas are given credence and they become indoctrinated for a lifetime. 
and few organizations, if any, were doing the type of work that I envisioned. And what fascinates me about this, uh, Charlie, is that um, if you try and get a, con- a conservative speaker onto some of these campuses, mm-hmm. they have to bring in security forces, oh, it's, police. It gets ugly. I, you know I, this. I've, you've experienced, I've experienced it. it. Sure. What are the, what, what are they so afraid of? If you can't have free speech and a discussion of opposing sides on college campus, where can you? So so let's broaden this because this is a philosophical cancer within the American left. Mm. Not even the American left, the international left too. Um, why is it that Google bans conservative voices? Why is it that Twitter deplatforms conservative voices but not liberal ones? Well, they, they've realized that when there's a marketplace of ideas, which is what college is supposed to be, they don't win. They actually tend to lose those debates, those, those discussions. So instead of actually engaging in the difficult dialogue, instead of actually having a conversation that has consequence – the left will make sure that discussion does not happen at all. And I'm, I, I, I experienced this in two universities in particular this last fall. We did a very, very big campus tour um, from Colorado University Boulder to um, UC Santa Barbara, all across the country, um, University of Texas, Austin. And DePaul University and Cornell University simply did not allow me to come on campus. What did are not they allow- worried about? Why? They will blame student safety. Somehow it's my fault <laughs> that students will be unsafe. Now, but what's the reason for this is the leftist activists will start to hurl threats that we're going to do protests and we're going to have all this confrontation because of Charlie Kirk and the administration capitulates. So they're pandering to these entitled brats that don't want to have a dialogue or discussion or other opinion. But the consequence of this is thousands of students that wanted to attend my events, which they do, and the millions that see the videos after and the millions of followers Mm -hmm. on social media – are then deprived of those moments and they're deprived of that intellectual exploration. What college is supposed to be is a place where you can have a buffet of different options where you can say, oh, here's what free market people believe and here's what the communists believe. And I want students to read the Communist Manifesto. I also want them to read The Wealth of Nations. I want them to read everything. Right. That's not happening. It's a singular monolithic way of sampling ideological um, Is that because ideas. you're instantly labeled again as a racist, that someone yeah. that's outside of what would be considered whatever it is, cultural, political norms, and, the, and somehow you're inciting hate because you are hate? Is which, that, is which, that which what is, it's such a vapid attack because I also tour these campuses with Candace Owens, right, who's right. an African-American woman. Um, so the attack that we're bringing horrifically racist, divisive ideas. But Ashley, I'm going to tell you, I argue for three things when I go on a college campus. This is it. And if I ask questions, I'll dive into other things always. Mm-hmm. But the three big things I talk about is America is the greatest country ever to exist, that the Constitution is the greatest political document ever written, and free enterprise capitalism is the most moral, proven, and effective economic system ever discovered. That's it. That's what I talk about. Is anything there Divisive? Do people need safe spaces or trigger warnings or <laughs> crying rooms from these things? Apparently, yes. <laughs> That's yeah. your me- now. Have you? I'm sure in the course of all of this, Charlie, have you had your life threatened? Have you been sure. in dangerous situations? Well, the, the 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 famous one, I guess you could say, is when Candace and I went to the breakfast place in Philadelphia back right. in August, and you guys covered it wonderfully yeah. on Varney, yeah. where we were just having breakfast, and Antifa mobilized their troops. Within 30 minutes, they had 50 protesters that stormed us out of the restaurant. They threw water on me. Um, you know, I think they realized when they saw me that it wasn't going to be a physical fight that they'd want to have. But uh, and I, I never want to fight anyone. You know, all right, kidding aside, right. I'm not a violent person. I don't want to do that. But they still threw objects at me. The police got involved very quickly. 
Um, you didn't press charges, though, did no, you? No, I didn't you? press charges and for a reason, and Stu and I had a fun back and forth on yeah. this. For the, I didn't want to give them the martyrdom that they wanted. Yeah. They would love nothing more than to say, look at me. I uh, now have my bet. And by the way, it would have been the equal of a parking ticket you know, <laughs> yeah. What's the point? in Philadelphia. Yeah. Right. So I would have made them more famous. I would have given them more credence, mm-hmm. and I would have given them more popularity in these crazy leftist loony circles. Mm-hmm. I got arrested protesting Charlie Kirk. They could say that for the rest of their life. Instead, they're someone no one knows about. I would have given them a gift by giving them martyrdom. Now, if they would have took out a switchblade on me, okay, I yeah, would have pressed yeah, charges. Of course. Right? But that, that, that's totally different than throwing water and objects and hurling insults at me. Yeah. So I would imagine a lot of what you have to do, other than going to college campuses and spreading the word, is you've got to, it takes money to do this. Mm-hmm. So you're out there doing a lot of fundraising, That's trying right. to get donors. How's that effort going? Very, very well. God has been very, very good to us. I don't say that lightly. It's just been a blessing of how mm. you know we've been able to grow. We raised over $15 million last year. $15 million. $15 million. So um, I'm on the road 340 days a year. Oh, my uh, We have over 115 people on staff, um, over 15,000 people that attend our conferences every single year, um, hundreds of millions of views a week on our content online. Um, and if you follow us on Twitter or Facebook, you'll see the engagement numbers for yourself. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's extraordinary, the platform we've been able to grow. Um, and we have thousands and thousands and thousands of grassroots donors that pitch in. Um, and you know, so what was how much did you raise in the first year? Com- by comparison, we raised uh, thirty two thousand dollars. Oh my goodness, fifteen million! Yeah. And, and the thing is, his his supporters, his mm. his donors. I'm not I'm not going to say names. But they're they're big people. You know what I'm saying? They're not. It's not like he's getting a dime here, dime there. Oh no, there's some he's significant contributions. That's behind right. Him. And it, and it's it's not. It's it's generally not centralized. Meaning, they're not as if they're meeting together and they say, "Oh, we should all pool our resources and give it to Charlie." I have to go independently to different cities and earn the support of investors or donors. Mm. Um, and, and so because of that, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of donors that, that pitch in. And look, um, $15 million is not an insignificant sum of money for any nonprofit mm-hmm. or any enterprise. It's hard. It takes a toll on anybody. Sure. Um, and the left does everything they can to try to channel boycotts and to try to misrepresent what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And anyone that follows my work knows what I believe and why I believe it. But look, we're a threat. We're a threat to the left in this country, mm-hmm. and um, our donors realize that we are making a significant difference in moving the dial towards um, towards a freer society. If you can't get into politics and back individual candidates, we, that we don't go, because yeah. that goes against the the, the nonprofit yeah. uh, status of your group. Can you do it on the college campus level? Do you do you identify who you think could be potential future conservative sure. leaders? And, and and this is something that. You know, reporters have tried to learn more about, and we've been careful not to. You know, <laughs> we've just been we've been careful in certain ways. Um, but you're you're perfectly legal. To no, do of that. course, but we don't want to expose some of our students. I see the legality is 100. percent It's more about some students want to maybe become president of their fraternity or become vice president of the student council, which are very consequential positions. Mm. And the last thing they want is to be written up on. 55 different articles and have their careers smeared or ruined. Right. And so, yeah, we, we get we, – we, we, we have what we call the Campus uh, Leadership Project where we empower students to actually uh, take leadership positions on these campuses. But I'll tell you what's really amazing is when we start these chapters and we start these groups, we get involved in activities like this, um, how many students come up to us and they say, thank you for doing what you're doing. I was afraid – I was ostracized. I was put in the corner because of my beliefs. I thought I was the only one. Um, and there's so much work that still needs to be done. But the, 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 the students that are unbelievably intimidated 
by even voicing an opinion is really something that um, is scary. It's very difficult to be a millennial, and Brian, yeah. you can speak to this too, and yeah. be conservative, right? Yeah, and well, that's what I was wondering, you know, because being in New York, you definitely see that, right? Because it's a New York City is a very liberal town, right? But I want to ask you because we've spoken about this mm. a lot. Do you think it's a regional issue? Because when I see all these things about what's happening on university campuses, it's the NYU's, it's the Cal Berkeley's, it's the Cornell's, it's the coasts, right? And but when I went to the University of South Carolina, and I know I'm an isolated, you know, situation. I didn't see any of that for four years. It was very open. Yes, South Carolina is a very conservative state. But I never heard stuff happening in the, at University of Georgia, University of Florida. So do you think that it is a coastal problem? I, more, the, the coasts are definitely worse, mm-hmm. um, without a doubt. But, um, I mean, California is <laughs> a lust. Berkeley? <laughs> I, I spoke at Berkeley. I spoke at UCLA. Did I spoke really? at Stanford last year. What a mess. Yeah. Um, and the Northeast, forget about it. I mean, it's just... Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but it's going on other places? Yes, so? without a doubt. And I will say that the the South is becoming infiltrated by some of these very, very far left-wing professors and ideas at universities that might surprise you. It's true. Even from University of Alabama to University of Georgia. I spoke at University of Georgia, for example. Mm-hmm. I spoke there with Donald Trump Jr., who's a dear friend, and um, a couple other really uh, amazing people, Candace Owens. Mm. And we had over 3,000 people show up to the event on campus. But we had hundreds of protesters really? at University of Georgia. Now, yeah. some of it could have been the Trump thing, I maybe. Sure. Um, and it was during the Stacey Abrams versus uh, Kemp governor race, which was yeah. whatever. And she received a ton of money from San Francisco. Yeah, totally. Tons. A lot of out-of-state money. Yeah. And so what you kind of see is you see the most screwed-up parts of the country are places like Connecticut and California. Mm. Bankrupt, homelessness oh. rates, businesses leaving. And yet they want to export their horrible ideas to places that work. They want to export their horrific ideas to Texas, for example. Right. They actually try to do that, or to Florida. Mm-hmm. These are states that are very prosperous, that have balanced budgets, that have great educational systems, yet they want to export their horrible ideas to places that don't work. We have to mention, and I say we have to, we don't have to, but we will, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. She is a rising star, and I say that a little tongue-in-cheek. I think she's the best thing that could ever happen to the Republican Party, but regardless, she gets a lot of airtime. She gets a lot of attention, and a lot of what she says, in my mind, is absolute insanity. It makes no sense at all, and yet she espouses it out there and tells everyone what we should be doing, and it's just fantasy. But I understand among young people, if you say free anything – it's attractive, right? And she's saying, hey, let's just print money. Let's just yes. free education, free health care, you know, free everything. Well, she's constantly wrong but never in doubt. <laughs> dangerous yeah. combination. Yeah. Lethal. Yes, <laughs> lethal. Um, so let's focus on one thing that she talked about, though, which is – and she she tried to retract this. I'm probably giving her more credit than I should, which is when she said it on her website that we want to support people unwilling to work. Yeah. This is the key. This is all the focus, the high-speed rail, the getting rid of cars. That's not going to happen. Subsidizing people unwilling to work could happen. It could happen very, very quickly. Now, why would someone want to do that? That's a vote-buying scheme. Of course. They want to buy votes. And and look, here's I, I I was on a segment with Steve Hilton on Sunday. We talked about this. And one of the other guests, she was very lovely, and she was joking around, of course. She's like, well, sign me up for the unwilling to work category. Yeah, right. And I thought about it. I would never want to actually not want to work. No. There's, I actually find it's value. incredibly yeah. boring. Right? <laughs> Come on. Have, I yeah. mean, make but, something but of But here's yourself. the other part of it. And, again, I actually am for decriminalization of marijuana. Mm. But 
Kamala Harris comes out and she says, I actually have never done it. I don't support the lifestyle of it, but I'm using it where she says it's very – it brings people joy to do marijuana. That's her whole <laughs> argument. Yeah. That's what she said. And I see a direct connection actually between this, and Tucker has really been on this, yeah. which is does more weed make a better society? And his argument is no. No. Um, and hey, I, if I'm not working and getting paid for it, I'll sit at home and light up. And yeah. so isn't there a connection here between the left, unwilling to work, universal basic income? Marijuana on demand whenever you want it. Blame other people for your problems. Tax the rich. What's the commonality here? Is it goes to what I said earlier? Are we a country that wants to reward being a victim or a victor? Yeah. And it's you've, if you're just sitting around doing nothing and that unwilling to work, I can't get over that. But does that so message, dangerous? Does, but that message, okay, yeah, it plays on the coasts. It plays in the elitist yes. areas of of the East Coast and the West Coast. But for the rest of the country. And let's face it, it's been Donald Trump country for much mm-hmm. of this. I just don't think that plays. No, I, and I think, think it you're plays right. right into the hands of the Republicans in 2020. Yes. And so a couple things here, which is I couldn't – thank goodness for the Electoral College, first and foremost, that we have an accurate representation of our country, not just – there's actually – if you extrapolate a thought exercise to its greatest extreme – you could win only two states and win the presidency with, with, if, you, if you got rid of the Electoral College. Right. You could win California and New York. Right. And still that's, – that's horrifying when you actually think about it. It's scary. Yeah, it is. So, so the, the, back to the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez yes. and does, it, does this resonate? I, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know the best way to handle her because humor is not working. No. She is – she has a – a attack squad in the media that will defend whatever she says. I mean, I have not seen people defend somebody like this since Obama. The media did not defend Hillary well, no, like I this. I feel that Nancy Pelosi is starting to get a little yeah. tired of it. Right well, now. I hope so. And so what we – the best thing for those of us that believe in America and believe in freedom is someone like Bloomberg and Howard Schultz to go spend $100 million to offer sobriety <laughs> to the Democrat Party and to really create this warfare. Um, and the, the reason Cortez is dangerous – is as soon as you dare question her, she'll play identity politics. Right. I'm a woman. You're being sexist. Or yeah. I'm a Latina, so you're being racist. That's, it's, just such, it's just so cheap. It's just so vapid of any sort of intellectual yeah. depth. Um, but make, anyone listening to this needs to realize she is a real threat. She really is. And I think she's a gift because she shows what they re- represent and support. Um, if but don't you go, laugh too hard. Right. Don't, don't – yeah, exactly. I mean and start, if you start crying, I understand because – <laughs> But so if you go back into the quote-unquote Charlie Kirk archives, four years ago, I predicted someone like her. I said, if you think socialists are bad, there will be a young, diverse socialist that will go to the national stage and probably a woman who will talk about all these ideas and make them mainstream. Now, how did I know that? Well, I'm not, I'm not clairvoyant and I'm not a Svengali. Okay, I wish I was. It's Me too. Be, and here, here's the important thing. It goes back to my original thesis. Hmm. College campuses are what dictate culture. So what you see happening on a college campus is it's a harbinger of everything to come. Everything that AOC and talks about. She's a about, reflection of that. She was educated. She said all my ideas came from my times right. in college. And so this is why what Turning Point USA matters so much is that culture is so important. Where does culture come from? Part, a lot of places, media, family, mm. religion, church, but the universities are the most important. And AOC is nothing more than a reflection of the culture where we lost on the universities for 30 years. She's a canary in the coal mine to take over a whole part of the Democrat Party. What really amazes me, there are others what you considered moderate, I guess, more down the middle Democrats, who seem to be 
signing up for this. They're mm-hmm. certainly not calling her out. And I know it's their own party, but at some point, someone says, Whoa, wait a minute, this is mm-hmm. insane. I think there's two people in the Democrat Party that applauded when Trump went after socialism, John Tester and yes, Joe yes. Manchin, yeah. who are from states where Donald <laughs> yeah. Trump won by like 40 yeah, they points. Had to, they had to clap. And also, yeah. Trump gave them a run for their money this last midterm election, so yeah, they know what right. side their bread is buttered on. Um, but I want you to think about this. We fought a Cold War for 40 years. We accepted dissidents from Cuba. We, we, we saw the Berlin Wall fall. We nearly went to nuclear confrontation against the USSR. And now we have half of a State of the Union that applauds when he bashes – when he critiques socialism and half that doesn't. It's insane. Half of the Democrat – of the entire yeah. State of the Union Why Chamber of Congress looks anyone, angry. Why does the earth does anyone think that big government is a good thing? All you have to do – look at the Veterans Administration. Oh, look at the DMV. Anything that they, they get touch. their fingers into, it turns into a – just an absolute disaster that, that that uses up money like it's going out of fashion and does nothing. It's so inefficient. Well, and this is so important. So it's very easy to be generous with other people's money. Yeah. Until it runs out. Right. And that's the old Maggie Thatcher yeah. quote. And you want to talk yeah. about some of the greatest crusaders against socialism in the 20th century. Maggie Thatcher was one of the yeah. greatest. Yeah. I mean, she inherited such a screwed up country. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I suffered so. through it. Oh, all the strikes, the train strikes, the power yeah. strikes, she turned the garbage around, strikes. She turned around British it. Airways, for example. All yep. these. Yep. I mean, broke and, the unions, free enterprise, that's exactly right. private enterprise. And, and a lot of the wealth that is now vested in mm. London and the UK is thanks to the reforms that she put. I mean, the UK would look much closer to France and. Spain right now, if it wasn't for Maggie Thatcher, at least giving... Just don't let Jeremy Corbyn in, number 10. <laughs> the Labour Party is so scary with what's uh-huh. going on in Fair. the UK. Um, and so, look, the, the back, back to your point, yeah. which is why would people ever trust government? Um, it goes back to, um, first of all, us losing the argument of not being able to accurately depict what you know, government is a, an inherently a bloated, inefficient, inadequate... Um, entity to get anything done effectively. Mm-hmm. Right. But these are people that quite honestly want to be taken care of because they've never been taught the tenets of self-reliance or personal responsibility. And unfortunately, that's the entire wing of the Democrat Party. Well, it's interesting because it's the old Soviet uh, analogy where people would stand in line all day to get a loaf of bread. And then when capitalism came along, they wanted to go back to the old days. You know why? Because they knew they'd stand all day, but they knew at the end of it they're going to get a loaf of bread. But they mm. didn't. They were so unused to capitalism and yes. the, the, the belief that you can go out there and make it yourself. They just became completely dependent on the handout from the government. Mm-hmm. It's a very sad situation. Yes. Well, isn't, isn't, it, isn't there some type of hypocrisy with uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez? Because she even said that she worked her butt off to win that election. She was out there campaigning and she definitely had to work hard to win a congressional seat. So if she worked that hard at a young age to get there. Why are you going to be advocating for people not to work? Isn't that, I don't get that. I, I, votes. I, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason. But. I, I totally agree. I think it's her entire, her entire journey there is inherently hypocritical. And, and she, she represents the most, one of the most dangerous evolutions of, American political philosophy, which it stems from cultural Marxism or postmodernism, which is somehow this country's a mistake. That's really where it comes from. Mm-hmm. You heard her immigration stance. We live on indigenous lands and right. there's no such thing as illegal immigration. And she's challenging the very foundation of America. 
Democrats never used to do this, by the way. Democrats used to say, we love America. We love our veterans. We love our flag. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should just have more ways to help people. And that was a fun time yeah. in America, wasn't yeah, it? Fine. Remember the 90s when sure. Bill Clinton said, okay, I'll give here and I'll go there. We'll balance the budget. Right. We'll also cut taxes here. The economy's going to boom. We'll reform welfare. What a concept. What a concept <laughs> where you actually have, I mean, I actually. It was I, reasonable. I actually, I think there's a distinction that needs to be made here, which is I, th I think Bill Clinton Gen like actually loves America. I really do. Mm -hmm. I, I think he also loves himself and all these sorts of things. But whatever, <laughs> sure. we, can, we can have a whole segment on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has the same reverence for America no. that Bill Clinton does? I don't think so. Do you, Ashley? No, I don't. I don't hear it. I don't see it. And the very things that she espouses about and talks about, are, you're right, attacks the very foundation mm -hmm. of what this and, country was built and that's on. that's scary. It yeah. is. And she plays on... The generosity of this country. I mean, everyone always knows that Americans are the most generous That's in right. the world. They and are. a lot of these policies are playing on the generosity. We, we voluntarily gave away $500 billion to charity last year. We Americans. Mm -hmm. In Europe, charity is a lost cause. They don't right. know what it is. They don't understand nope. it. They say, oh, the government's taking care of this. You're already taking There's a great <laughs> Monty Python skit. Yes. Where they're, yeah. I don't understand. Oh, you do a better yeah, British yeah, accent. Yeah. <laughs> you can, I have to give the money to you to give to somebody yeah. else. Yes. <laughs> I don't understand. Why don't I just give it to them myself? Exactly. Or That's why don't I have to give it to anyone? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to butcher it. But you understand. It's like sure. it, it, they, it, they, it, they don't get it at all. No. Um, and so, look, she also prays, honestly, she prays on people that have been broken and disaffected by a broken culture. And, um, it, she needs to be challenged, and she's more dangerous than people realize in the sense that she's young. She has a lot of lot of political life left. Sure. And I will say this. She's she's lethally good on television. Yes. Um, Even if what she's saying is insane, yeah. it's for whatever I, reason. I, I don't, and she has social media behind her. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know this as a fact, but boy, I would venture a guess she's gotten very, very good television training because she's good. I mean, mm -hmm. she she can win over an audience, yeah. and um, she's changing the national conversation on issues that we've not talked about in a long time. But how does that play? Let's bring it all the way back to you in Turning Point sure. USA. Someone like this and others like her must give your group more impetus. Oh, without a doubt. No, it gives – it proves my prophecy to be correct. I've been saying to our donors and investors, if we don't double down and we don't grow more – the socialists are going to take over the country. And I've had donors laugh at me. Mm -hmm. and, and now they're not laughing now. And they, they say, oh, Charlie, we'll never be a socialist country. This stuff will never become mainstream. I said, look, these college campuses are what is to come. And if we ignore it for too long, they're going to take over all the cultural institutions. Yeah, and unfortunately, we became so PC over the years that we're, we're very hesitant to call something out for fear of being labeled something. That's right. And I think that's what created Donald Trump. He was someone who doesn't care what people think. He says what he thinks, and he says what a lot of people in this country also believe but have been too frightened to actually verbalize. That's right. And, I mean, God bless Donald Trump for what he's done for this country and what he's had to endure. And um, I mean, he's, he's unbelievably successful in the sense that well, look with, at the economy. With, with the unemployment numbers, with the GDP numbers, the uh, stock market is still performing very, very well on the aggregate census inauguration, yep. um, bringing peace to North Korea, obliterating ISIS, us becoming energy independent. If a Democrat achieved yeah. one-tenth of this, they would say he's one of the greatest presidents of right. all time. Right. Instead, they have investigations up the wazoo. Yeah. They're chasing him at every turn. And I, and I truly believe that Democrats hate Trump than, more than they love America. I really mm -hmm. believe that. It appears that way, yes. And that's a sad, it's a sad stronger than love, right? 
Well, hate, hate could be stronger than love. And, and they're never going to celebrate his success. And his success no matter what is he good does. for the country. Yeah. That's so right. You're right. Signing prison reform. Yes. Pard- pardoning wrongly, wrongly convicted mm-hmm. felons. Um, they should be applauding that. Yes. A, a, no. The most ever funding going to historical black college universities under his budget. 500% increase in black entrepreneurship rates. The urban revitalization opportunity zone agenda through his tax cut, which is bringing billions of dollars That's into our urban cities. Mm-hmm. Never, ne- never reported. Never. And and he he single handedly is delivering results in a way that's quite dramatic, and mm. it deserves to be applauded and recognized. For my whole life, I've heard if only we were energy independent, we didn't yes. have to de- yeah. we didn't have to depend yeah. on the exactly. Saudis and the Iranians and how many and the Russians. How and many times you heard this? Yes, we, we're now exporting more than we're importing thanks to his mm-hmm. deregulatory energy independence agenda. Exactly. And so and so, look, I I am a fierce defender of the president. Quite honestly, because I see the results and I understand what he's doing, and, um, and I'll give an analogy. I, I quite honestly, I love the tweets. I love his style. I love all yeah. of it. I, it's an acquired taste for some. Sure. Here's the analogy that I give: If you are drowning in the middle of an ocean, and a lifesaver comes and pulls you out and puts you onto a safety ship, do you care if that lifesaver swears when he t- takes you out of the ocean, or he's, <laughs> you know, doesn't say things right. the right way? Politically correct. Yes. Or he's, is he politically correct or politically incorrect? Our country was squandering and floundering under Barack Obama, just trying to gasp for air. Donald Trump has pulled us out of that ocean onto a safety boat raft. Mm-hmm. I don't care the yeah. how he does it. We're breathing again. You're just happy about the end result. It's precisely. Yeah. That's what it's all and about. And that's what people have yeah. to realize. All right. We're going to have to leave it right there. Okay. Charlie Kirk. Thank you so much for this joining us today. We hope you come back and update us on on your efforts on college campuses and trying to get every voice heard thank on you. college campus. Thank you so you much, bet. Charlie. Thanks. Appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you back here next time. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.